Welcome to Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Hosted by Irving Rich. The Glad Tidings of God and the Mystery of the Gospel. By James Boyd. The Preaching of the Glad Tidings. Every single particle of blessing that at any time has been, is being, or shall be, brought to any human being has its foundation in the cross of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. It is the basis upon which the whole vast fabric of eternal felicity shall be established. That which was there manifested is the light which shall make infinitely radiant God's universe of blessing, for there the love of God was expressed, and that love shall be the light, the life, the warmth, and the glory of that world of unfathomable and endless delight. And what a world that shall be! Fullness of joy, and pleasures forevermore, shall there find their eternal abiding place. That world was the conception of the Father's love, and that before the present world had an existence and when this world shall have been brought to an end. That world shall shine with a splendor brighter than the sun in the cloudless heavens, for it will be radiant with the glory of redemption. To that sphere of unspeakable happiness the gospel calls every poor sin-burdened soul. The light of that world is in the hearts of the messengers who to find such needy mortals search the darkness of this nether world. The Son of God is the way to that radiant scene, and to him all the weary and heavy laden are directed, and all who come to him in the confession of their undone condition receive a hearty welcome. None are rejected, and to this one gospel message bears witness. The apostles were, in the first instance, the preachers, whoever might take up the work after them, Mark chapter 16 verse 15. The risen Lord has given evangelists for this purpose, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11. In Acts we read that on account of the great persecution that took place at the time of Stephen's martyrdom, the saints were compelled to fly from Jerusalem. And that they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, so that the preaching was not wholly confined to the apostles. Afterwards Paul was converted, and was sent by the Lord direct to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 26 verses 17 to 18. This sending of Paul to the Gentiles was in the most perfect harmony with the prophetic word to Christ, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the preserved of Israel, I will also give thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth, Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6, Acts chapter 13 verse 47. The gospel was to be preached worldwide. Peter was chosen to carry it to the circumcision, and Paul's mission was to the Gentiles, Galatians chapter 2 verse 7. Therefore Paul considered himself debtor to the Greeks and barbarians, to the wise, and to the unwise Romans chapter 1 verse 14. The preacher needed not the consent of any human being before entering upon this glorious work. No man could give him authority to take up the service, nor could any deprive him of the right to go forth with the glad tidings. His title and authority lay in the gift imparted to him by the risen head of the body, and to him alone, as a servant, was he answerable. His gift might be small or great, it might consist of two talents or five, but to the Lord alone must he give account, as to the use he made of what was committed to his trust, Matthew chapter 25 verses 14 to 30. The Holy Spirit of God is the only power for the proclamation of this message of grace, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 12. Though the apostles knew what they were to preach, and where they were to begin the work, they nevertheless were told to tarry, in the city of Jerusalem until they would be endowed with power from on high, Luke chapter 24 verse 49. Not in human power, nor in persuasive words of human eloquence, was this heavenly message to be promulgated, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 to 5. Everything done for God in this world must be done in his power. He will not allow the man after the flesh to contribute anything. The flesh has, as we have seen, been proven to be worthless and unprofitable, its mind enmity against God, and it has been brought to its end judicially by the cross, it is therefore valueless in the service of God. 
all confidence in human power had to be taken out of the great apostle of the Gentiles, and he had to learn that the grace of his master was all he needed. For the Lord's strength was made perfect in the weakness of the servant. This made him glory in his infirmities, for his own apparent weakness was but an evidence of the divine power that wrought in him, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in the work of the gospel. The Old Testament prophets were, as far as we can discover, men of natural fervency and eloquence. They were to, smite with the hand and stamp with the foot, Ezekiel chapter 6 verse 11, and contending with evildoers, they cursed them, smote them, plucked off their hair, and put them under solemn obligations to do the will of God, Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 25, for God was dealing with men in the flesh, and in a probationary dispensation, but man being proven incorrigibly wicked, and unmendably evil. The trial is closed, and now man can only be in relationship with God as born of him, John chapter 3 verses 3 to 5. The trial is over, and now the work is entirely by the Spirit of God. The proclamation was to be carried among all nations, and it spoke of repentance and forgiveness of sins for all. God was now speaking to men as he had never spoken before. The rejection of his Son had made the judgment of the world imperative. By his rejection it was morally judged, John chapter 3 verses 18 to 19, 12 31. It was seen to be not only corrupt, but an inveterate hater of all that was of God, and absolutely irreconcilable. It cannot be improved. Nothing can be done with it but to visit it with the judgment that it has merited, and which will bring it to an end as a system of unmixed wickedness. In view of this judgment the Gospel calls upon the individual sinner to repent, and to believe the glad tidings. The day is appointed in which the judgment is to be executed, and during the time in which this judgment is delayed God assumes the character of Saviour towards all. There is no respect of person. It is to the Jew first, as the man that dispensationally had stood near to God, and the preaching was to begin at the city that was stained with the murder of the Son of God. But it was not to end there. It was to go out to the whole world. All were to hear it, whether they were willing to hear it and to believe it, or whether it so aroused their wrath that they became ready to murder the heralds of it. It was good news, and the evangelist could not hold his peace. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to every one that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. It is the means that God uses to deliver souls out of this present evil world. It is the glad tidings of that grace that carries with it salvation to all men. It calls upon men to take their rightful place as sinners in the presence of God, and to receive by faith the forgiveness that is proclaimed to all. The whole world being, on account of its sinfulness, subject to the wrath of God, which is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. None could escape unless God has resources beyond all that ever was dreamed of by the creature. These resources the Gospel makes manifest. It holds out to all a righteousness that will perfectly meet the need of every poor sinner that will avail himself of it, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed, from faith to faith. That is. It is revealed on the principle of faith, and the man who believes the gospel has that righteousness. The law demanded righteousness from the sinner, and cursed him because he had it not, the gospel ministers to him the righteousness of God. And all he has to do to make that righteousness his own is to believe in the grace by which it comes to him, in other words. To submit to God's way of salvation and abandon his own efforts to save himself. He is a sinner, and not righteous, and nothing that he can do can make him other than what he is, and therefore nothing that he can do can shelter him from the wrath that is revealed against his unrighteousness. If he will but submit to God's way of salvation as declared in the Gospel he will find every need of his soul met in Christ, for he has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. 
God has taken up the attitude of justifier of the ungodly, and the way in which he has assumed this attitude silences every accusation that might be brought against his righteousness by the enemy of mankind. He has not passed leniently over sin in the abstract, nor has he winked at the sins committed by those who believed the gospel. The blood upon the mercy seat is the standing witness of his intolerance of sin. Him who knew no sin he has made sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21. In his cross sin has received its judgment, and the one who took the place of the sin-bearer, and bore that judgment, has power to impart his own life to as many as are given to him of the Father, John chapter 17 verse 2, and thus, as the last Adam, link them up in life with himself, a heavenly head, and a heavenly race. All in new and eternal relationships with God. Now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, Romans chapter 3 verse 21. It is no longer a question of man putting himself into right relations with God by means of his own legal efforts, God has himself undertaken the work. And he has wrought in the most perfect harmony with his own nature and character, not abating one jot of his claims upon his creature, not doing violence to one of his glorious attributes. Not passing over the rank rebellion of his insolent subjects, not shutting up in his own heart his boundless compassions, but satisfying every single requirement of his blessed being. And in the way in which he has done this making known his unspeakable love to objects unworthy of his smallest favor. It is thus God has brought about righteousness for those who have none of their own, and it is presented to men in the gospel. The righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, is now held out to all without exception, and is upon all them that believe. It is offered to everyone, and it is upon the believer. That is, he has become the righteousness of God in Christ. It is not human righteousness, which would have been by the law, but God's own righteousness, not man's consistency with the relationships in which he has been placed as God's creature. But the consistency of God himself with his own nature and character, whether previously revealed or unrevealed, his consistency with himself in taking up the attitude of justifier of ungodly sinners. This is revealed in the gospel, and the believer stands in that righteousness in Christ. David describes the blessedness of the man to whom God reckons righteousness, having no works of his own that would constitute him righteous in the presence of God, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin, Romans chapter 4 verses 6 to 8. If he dealt with the man according to the man's own works, he would reckon nothing to him but sin, but dealing with him in grace, and on the ground of the blood of Jesus. He reckons him to be righteous. The man whose blessedness this is, is the believer in Jesus. He knows himself to be a sinner, and confesses himself as such in the presence of God, for the preaching has assured him that if he comes in this way to God his forgiveness is a certainty. His eyes have been opened to both his own ruined condition and to the attitude of God in Christ, and he has turned from darkness to light. For he knows that to all that the light makes manifest the blood of Jesus is a perfect answer, and on such a soul the devil has lost his strangle bold, from his power he turns to God, and receives the forgiveness announced in the glad tidings, Acts chapter 26 verse 18, and along with this an inheritance among all them that are sanctified by faith in Christ. This is the man in whom there is no guile, Psalm chapter 32. He is not seeking to make the best of a bad life. His sinful condition is acknowledged. Truth is found where God desires to see it, in the inward parts, Psalm chapter 51 verse 6, and a full confession is made of the iniquity that is discovered there, that is, truth is done, John chapter 3 verse 21. And there is no longer need for the soul to abide in the darkness, the light is approached, and the knowledge of God is seen to be the source of the deeds that are wrought, they are wrought in God. Of the faith that justifies the sinner, Abraham's was a grand example. 
He believed in God, who quickens the dead, and calls those things that be not as though they were. Romans chapter 4 verse 17. I have made thee a father of many nations, was the word of God to Abraham when both himself and his wife were dry trees. But this gave God the opportunity of manifesting himself as the quickener of the dead, and as to Abraham, he placed no reliance on his body now dead, but gave glory to God. Assured that he would fulfill the word that he had spoken, and therefore was he held to be righteous, not because of his works, which would only have condemned him, but on account of the faith that he placed in the God of resurrection. The reality of this faith was tested later on, when he was told to offer up his son as a burnt offering. But it answered fully to the test that was put upon it, for his faith was still in the God of resurrection, and he counted that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. From which also he received him in a figure, Hebrews chapter 11 verses 17 to 19. This is the God in whom Abraham believed, when, as we are told, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offences, and was raised again for our justification, Romans chapter 4. The God of resurrection has brought himself before us, not in vitalizing our mortal bodies, but in raising from the dead him who was delivered for our offences. The resurrection of Christ is the witness to us that the sacrifice that he offered for us has been accepted. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, If Christ be not risen, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. But if he is risen, and our faith is in him, our sins are gone. We are justified from all things. And being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have learned God as the justifier of the ungodly. We see the way he has taken to accomplish this marvelous and for us necessary work. The work has been his own invention, and he has done it when we were without strength to do anything for ourselves. He could have righteously left us to the consequences of our sins, but he had compassion upon us, and found means for our deliverance from the judgment to which our sins had rendered us liable. He undertook our justification, and on his part there has been no failure. We see the one who was under our sins on the tree now on the Father's throne. It is the judge of the work that has done the work, and his approval of it has been made manifest, and between him and the believer there is not one disturbing element. By whom also we have access into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through him who laid down his life for us we stand in the favor of God. This is our assured place. Our Savior has won it for us, and he maintains us in it. We have no standing in ourselves, and we need none, for he is everything for us in the presence of God and, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. There is no going back to innocence and Eden. All that is lost, as well as earth itself. Had we been able to keep the law, we might have retained our place as living men on earth. But having lost earth by our works, heaven has been gained for us by the work of God. A new world of glory opens up before the vision of our souls. To this world we never had any title, nor had the Adam from whom we sprung, not even in his innocent state. He was of the earth, made of dust, and of him in his fallen state we were but Christ the last Adam, the heavenly man, has linked us up in life with himself. And our place is with him where he is. And the heavenly door has been opened, the resurrection world shines bright before faith's clear vision, life, glory, honor, and incorruptibility, is the goal to which our unfettered feet desire to hasten, we rejoice in hope of it. The victim of Golgotha is there triumphant, the light and the center of that sphere, and this gives the place an attraction for us. The path to that home may be filled with tribulation, but we can boast in it, for it will work endurance. It will not drive us from Christ, but will make us draw all the closer to his side, for only there we shall feel ourselves safe.
and endurance will give us experience, for day by day, as the difficulties arise, we shall experience the delivering power of the Lord, who will give us grace enough to meet all the need of our soul, and enable us to triumph over every obstacle that may be placed in our path. And this shall give us hope, because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us.